I'm simply entitling nothing ordinary. And the basic premise is this, is that oftentimes we have this picture in our heads of people in Scripture that are of, of almost near perfect kind of spiritual perfection. They're almost flawless. And we look at them, people like Peter and James and John, or, or we look at the people around us and, and the people in this room sometimes, or people like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, and we think, you know what, if, if they really knew my life, the messiness that my life is, the faithlessness that my life is, the struggle that my life is, if God really knew those things, I mean, I mean, really, there's no way these people or these things are attainable for me because I know who I am. And if God really knew or if people really knew what a mess I was, then, 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 then they would figure, figure me out. And we, we tend to put these people up on this perfect spiritual shelf. We tend to look at scripture and say, I just, I can't be there. But the reality is, is that every one of those folks, whether they're in scripture, whether they're in our lives here today, are, are, they're not perfect. They're flawed and they're messed up and they're broken. They're, they are ordinary people that are just used by an extraordinary God. And I'm sure there's times in your life where you felt like your life was, your faith was less than extraordinary. And you look at God and you say, am I really that usable? And I mentioned last week that I've probably heard a dozen sermons in my life on how God takes ordinary people to do extraordinary and does extraordinary things. And while that's certainly true, no argument with, with that, I tend to look at it a little bit differently because I don't see it's the, think it's the things so much that God does is, that are extraordinary because everything God does is extraordinary. But the fact that God chooses to use messed up, flawed, and broken people and through the Holy Spirit impacts and changes lives, that nothing is ordinary about those moments, that those lives of people, whether they're in Scripture, whether they're here in this room, or whether they're out there in the world today, that God is using them to turn the world upside down is an amazing thing. And that when God takes ordinary, flawed, messed up, broken people, and he uses them for his holy, amazing purpose, there's nothing ordinary about that. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at people both in Scripture and in our world today that God is using to literally turn the world Really? Hey, Mike, can you bring me the handheld? Do we have that one? Because this thing just went out. Awesome. And the, all We're going to wait on that. My, oh, wait, what? Uh, battery's out. We're going to lose it in a second. You know, I, I bumped into Bruce Brown, who's sitting back here this morning, and uh, he was helping me unload some stuff. Sweet. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Lord, you continue to remind me that you just don't need me. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And Lord, I, uh, I'm thankful that on this morning we're reminded of how big you are. And that it's not about what we do. And that to sit in your presence and reflect on 
your love for us is, is unbelievable. And not one of us in here, God, would, would actually raise our hand and say we have perfect faith or we have a, a great faithful life. Lord, every one of us on some level probably feels like we're, we're just kind of messed up. We're not perfect and we haven't really made it where we want to be yet. And we are kind of flawed and we are kind of broken. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would take these moments in our heart today and that you would use your word to transform the way that we think. That, Father, you want to use us as broken, messed up people to impact the world. That, God, you want to take us because it, it glorifies you when you use vessels like us. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would just move in this room in our spirit to remind us of how big and how great you are and that you would be bigger than my words or my lack of words and, and bigger than all technical issues we may or may not have on a Sunday morning and that what would stand always is your word. Take just a moment right where you sit and just ask the Lord to move in your heart this morning. Just say, God, you know, move in me. Just pray that God would do something in you. Take just a moment and pray for that person beside you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Maybe they're here for the first time. Just pray that God would, would move in their heart. Just Ask God to touch them, to use His Holy Spirit to impact their lives. Lord, I love the way you work. Um, it seems to happen all the time when I begin to talk about how you don't need people and how you begin to use flawed, messed up, and broken people. And then you, you do things like allow all these little difficulties so that your glory would shine through. And Father, I pray that this morning we would encounter your words and not mine, and that, God, you would just ultimately touch our hearts and our souls as we seek to be a people that would say yes to you and follow you where you lead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at Luke chapter 18. We're going to dive in it together, and uh, you're just going to have to bear with me. We're going to work through this stuff. But So... There's a really interesting story that I'll tell you about this blind person. And all the time in Scripture, we see Jesus kind of encountering people. And we're really looking at people that Jesus uses that, that the world doesn't think are usable. I mean, that's really the story of the gospel, that, that Jesus takes people who the world has kind of looked beyond, unschooled, as we learned last week, ordinary men, and he uses them to absolutely flip the paradigms of the world upside down. Well, I think Jesus does it again in Luke chapter 18. Let's take a look at it together. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, and he was begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So it's not an an unusual situation that we actually see. Jesus is traveling down the roadside, heading to this town called Jericho, and there's a blind guy that's sitting on the side of the road. Not an unusual scenario in those days. In fact, last week we talked about uh, another man that was a crippled man that was sitting by the temple gate. Now, this blind guy was a beggar, and and really that was his entire life every day. 
And in those days, people associated physical handicap, and, and not that I'm saying blindness is a physical handicap, but people associated with any kind of physical issue, whether it was being crippled or you were, couldn't speak or you were deaf or you were blind, they associated those things with sin. And they believed that either you sinned or your family sinned, and therefore God was punishing you. And because you had sinned, you were an outcast. You were just as unclean as un, and untouchable as a leper. And your life was relegated to that of a beggar. So here you have this man who is blind with a life that's unclean and relegated to the life of a beggar sitting by the side of this dusty, dirty road outside of Jericho every single day of his life. And he'd just sit there and hope that some passerby would have compassion enough to drop a few coins in whatever jar he had sitting out there. And it says that he heard this commotion, this, this noise as Jesus and his followers were passing by. And I've mentioned this before, Jesus never traveled alone. I mean, we oftentimes have this misconception that Jesus kind of went from town to town to town with his little ragtag group of 12 guys, and really that's not the case. There were certainly moments when it was just the 13 of them, but really when Jesus traveled, people showed up in huge numbers. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to know what was going on. They wanted to see what all the commotion was about and what everyone was saying. And so when Jesus came close to a town, people would hear the rumor and they would all flood outside of the town to see him, usually in the hundreds and in a lot of cases the thousands. And so when Jesus was walking to Jericho, it was certain that he was walking with a huge crowd of people. And this blind guy was sitting by the side of the road, and he'd sat there every day, and he knew what was normal and what was not. And he hears all this commotion of these passerbyers, of these people going by. And so he asks, he says, what is all the commotion? What is all the noise? What is happening? And someone looks at him, and they basically said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then our story says that this blind guy begins to call out. Actually, Luke's the only one that records it as calling out. Matthew and Mark actually recorded his shouting. But he begins to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is what he's yelling from the side of the road from his little perch here over this crowd of most likely hundreds of people. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's shouting it over and over. And what he's shouting is actually equally as important as how loud he is shouting it. Because what this guy is doing is he's actually making a messianic proclamation. Because son of David was a title that the Jews held for the coming Messiah. The anointed one, the holy one, the chosen one of God. The Messiah, the Redeemer. He was going to come from the line of David. So by calling Jesus son of David, he's saying Jesus, Messiah, holy one, anointed one. This blind man had heard the stories, had heard the things that Jesus had done. He knew who was coming. And he was making this proclamation. He wasn't just shouting to get attention. He was saying, Jesus, Messiah, Holy One, Anointed One, have mercy on me. Well, it says whoever was leading this large crowd of people in the front, most likely some city officials or, or some, uh, some of the disciples even that were leading this crowd, they began to rebuke this man, all right? And rebuking is a word that's actually really strong. It's not like, hey, man, you know, we really need you to be quiet. It's you shut your mouth. I mean, they are rebuking him, telling him to be quiet. And there's probably a lot of reasons for this. And, but most likely it was probably because he was a blind beggar. He was kind of worthless in their eyes. He was really kind of beneath everyone. And he had no right to shout over this crowd of really important people that can, had Jesus in it and a bunch of city officials and most likely some Pharisees. And, and here's this blind guy shouting for attention, just be quiet. You know, but also it was probably because he was making a messianic proclamation. And that was trouble. I mean, it was big trouble. And if it was true, it was even worse. 
And so most likely they're telling this guy to be quiet because, you know, hey, we don't want to bring all this undue attention on that or, 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 you know, I mean, this was a big deal. Or maybe even just because Jesus was too important to mess with this guy. This is not all that uncommon. Just a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 18, before we get here, these little children come running to Jesus. And you know what the disciples do? They rebuke the children, right? Jesus is a little bit too important for you. And what does Jesus do? He says, stop. Let him come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he goes on and loves on these kids. Most likely, not children of highfalutin kind of people, but street children. They just kind of ran around. Well, the exact same thing happens a few verses later. As you go into Jericho, they rebuke this man, most likely because Jesus has got some important stuff to do in Jericho, and he doesn't need to be bothered with the likes of this beggar. Well, whatever the reason, they rebuke him, but he shouts all the louder. Scripture tells us, he says, but he shouted all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And most likely he's shouting it over and over and over again, and it's getting really, really annoying. But he's shouting it, Jesus, son of David, because there are hundreds of people. I mean, imagine the, the kind of parade atmosphere, you know, that's coming through or into town, and this guy is shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're telling him to be quiet, and he won't. He just keeps shouting and shouting and shouting. So finally, Jesus stops. He hears him, and he asks him to be brought over, because this is what Jesus does. Jesus sees the world differently, right? I mean, this is not all a big surprise that Jesus stopped and asked to see this guy, asked to talk to him, because this is how Jesus lived. But he stopped, and he, and he, and he asked for this guy to be brought over. Hey, bring that guy over, whoever's shouting. So they bring him over to Jesus, and he looks at him, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says, Lord, which is another really powerful proclamation. He doesn't say rabbi. He doesn't say teacher. He actually declares Jesus as Lord, and, and, and there's a big difference, and I'll probably get to this in a minute. There's a big difference between Jesus being teacher in your life and Jesus being Lord of your life. But he says, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Right? Your faith has healed you. And it says that immediately he began to praise. He followed Jesus and began to praise God. He got up, followed Jesus, which means he joined this assembly of people, and he started praising God. I really love this encounter because I think a lot of times in Scripture we tend to focus on the thing that is staring us right in the face. It's easy to look at Jesus the healer. Jesus, the, the one that gives this, uh, blind sight. Jesus, the one that does the miracle. Because that's what's staring us in the face. But really, if you look at this scenario, there's something really amazing about this blind beggar. And those kind of things in Scripture sometimes slide under the radar for us. But, but I want you this morning just, just, just to, to think about this for a moment with me through, through the lens or the angle of this blind beggar. Because I believe that Jesus and, and the move of the Holy Spirit, the sort of kind of healing of this man's life, is used to impact the world in a really kind of unforeseen way that a lot of us might call insignificant, but I actually think is incredibly powerful. There's a lot of things we see that happen in this little transaction uh, between Jesus and this blind man that are really important. And the first I mentioned earlier is that, is that this guy actually sees who Jesus is. He sees Jesus as Savior. And he begins to proclaim it in two really powerful ways. He begins to proclaim it at the top of his lungs saying, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, anointed, holy one, redeemer. He's using all that kind of language. It's wrapped up in what the Messiah would be. Have mercy on me. 
right? Have mercy on me. He's proclaiming Jesus as Savior. And when he gets Jesus' full attention, he looks at him with, you know, with, with his sort of blinded eyes and he says, Lord, Lord, I want to see. It's a really powerful statement because I think a lot of us in our culture don't know what to do with the person of Jesus. We recognize that Jesus is some kind of really kind of moral teacher and we should listen to some of his stuff but if we ever really looked at all of it it'd be pretty radical to believe it all but we're not really do sure what to do with the person of jesus christ the one that scripture says died for me and gave his life so that i might know him i had a conversation with a guy years ago when the movie the passion of the christ came came out we were doing bible study at this barbecue restaurant i was living in austin early in tuesday mornings and and i got to know this guy kind of well and he asked me one day he said hey treb um, what is all the, why is there so much commotion around this movie, The Passion of the Christ? You know, is it, is it anti-Semitism? I mean, are people kind of thinking it's against Jewish people or whatever? And we kind of talked about it for a moment, and, you know, and then I kind of left. And I, and I, I got out of my car, and I was driving back to work, and, and it really dawned on me at that moment that the reason there was so much commotion about this movie, The Passion of the Christ, and what I wish I would have been able to say to this guy was that it's because it's about Jesus. It's not really necessarily the fact that it has anything to do with being uh, an anti-Semitic movie or that there were any kind of issues really involved outside the fact that it's just about Jesus. And as a culture, we wrestle with what to do with the person of Jesus Christ. And as people, we've got to decide if Jesus is just going to be some kind of teacher to our lives and we can pick and choose things out of Scripture because I like him here today, but I don't like that and so I can kind of push it to the side. Or pretend I don't see it or read it because I can apply some of his teachings like I do any other good seminary professor or college professor that I've ever had. Or I could submit my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, which means he rules over all of me. And in every category of my life, he is supreme. And this blind guy, through these just very few words, is recognizing Jesus as Savior, as Messiah. He didn't even know what all it meant, but he knew that this was not some mere man walking down the street that had a lot of great things to say. He knew from the stories he'd been told and the pronouncements of Scripture that he was going to be standing in the presence of the Savior. Now, how do you see Jesus surrendering your whole heart and life to the, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or bits and pieces to fit into the crevices in our life that, that seem to be ailing us at the moment? He saw Jesus as Lord, right? And he shouted at the top of his lungs, which I really find so awesome because I think we are, our, our spiritual lives are so kind of drowned out by the culture around us that we're afraid to actually articulate our faith in front of people. That we become a culture, a Christian subculture, that is a little bit afraid of actually being vocal about our faith because we don't want to offend anybody or we don't want to be felt made to feel uncomfortable. And so we compartmentalize our relationships with Christ to fitting categories like church or Bible study or praying before meals. But see, this guy, this blind man, this, this sort of worthless outcast from a cultural standpoint didn't care anymore. When they stopped and they rebuked him and they said, keep your mouth closed, he shouted all the louder because what he cared about was that the Savior who was passing by, that he would hear him. He was concerned with the ears and the audience of one. And if you're anything like me, which you may or may not be, I'm really concerned with a much bigger audience than just Jesus. 
I'm concerned with the opinions of people. I'm concerned with what they think about me. I'm concerned with how I kind of look to the world. And like a lot of us, we dress up our lives so that people don't know what we're really doing on the inside. And our faith becomes a sort of convenient expression. But very rarely are we willing to sit on the side of the road and shout at the top of our lungs to say, listen, I don't really care. I just wanted Jesus to be my audience. And I love the fact that this ordinary guy would shout over the crowd of a hundred to get the attention of Jesus. And I think that some of us, myself included, probably in this world and in the life that I live, need to do a little bit more shouting about my love for Christ. A little bit more opportunity. You know, I had the opportunity to go back to that guy at that same restaurant and talk to him about why I thought this kind of movie about Jesus was so radically important. But you know what? I didn't. I never did. And I never did because, I don't know, I didn't want my relationship with him to be kind of weirded out. (laughs) Ever been there? I mean, it's sad to admit, but that was true at a time in my life. I just, I never went back. And even though I felt the the prompting to go back, I never did. I wasn't willing to sit by the road and shout it out and say, you know what, man, I want to tell you why maybe this movie is a mess. It's because it's Jesus. And let me tell you why Jesus is a mess. It's because he loves you. So he, he shouted at the top of his lungs, and, and he had this sort of faith to see, right? Jesus says, it's your faith that's healed you, right? I mean, it was this proclamation of Jesus as Savior that healed him. It wasn't a bunch of promises. Lord, if you give me my eyes, I will go to church every single Sunday. We've made those promises. God, if you get me out of here, I promise I will never do this again, right? It was never that. This guy, Lord, Jesus said, it was your faith. Well, where do we see this guy's faith expressed? We see it expressed in his, his proclamation as Jesus as Savior. Your faith is healed. You see, he had faith to see. And then he follows Jesus. Now, don't, don't miss this because this is really powerful. Jesus stops and he gives this guy his sight and it says that he followed Jesus. He, didn't be, he wasn't like, thank you, Lord, for that, or thank you for giving my sight. And then he started running down the road trying to see all the new things. I mean, can you imagine being blind for, if not your entire life, the majority of it, and then finally being able to see all the things that you've missed or that you haven't seen the way your eyes would want to soak up light and trees and, and things. And he didn't run down the road the other way looking for all the things he can touch, chasing butterflies and looking at birds. He fell right in line and began to follow Jesus. See, I think a lot of us, when we pray, we say, Jesus, I need you to fix this. I need you to to heal me. I need you to take care of this. I need you to provide for me. And as soon as whatever that situation is met or it passes, we go back to living life the exact way we want to live it. And our encounter with Jesus is, is only temporary or only momentary. Yet we see this blind beggar who now has an entire new lease on life. Because now remember, with his eyes, he is no longer going to be seen as an unclean, worthless person cast out by culture. He now has a brand new life. And he can see the world. But he doesn't. He literally sees the world through the eyes of Jesus, the eyes that Jesus gave him. And he falls into this category of people that are willing to follow him. See, Jesus isn't a provider of goods and services for our life when we pray. He calls our hearts and our lives to follow him. 
And look what happens. As this man begins to follow him, he begins to praise God, right? I bet you couldn't keep this guy quiet. You ever met somebody like that that has been, had a life that was so over here or so messed up or had been so something and they met Jesus and their life is so turned around that every other word out of their mouth is something about Jesus? That they were just so excited because God has brought them from death to life? That God had so redeemed them that it was all they could speak about? Should be all of us, but really, it's a select group of us. Well, I guarantee you this guy was in that same category. I mean, now he's like, hey, hey, did you guys see this grass? They're like, dude, we see grass all the time. He's like, no, it's grass. I mean, he's seeing things for the first time. He's like, look, look at this dirt. They're like, we see dirt all the time. He's like, no, I can see the dirt. God gave me eyes. He's, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I mean, he's praising God. And then the very last line in that text says this. And when the others saw it, they also began to praise God. You see, I believe this man's transformation was absolutely contagious. See, I, didn't, I don't think that those people just saw the fact that Jesus gave him sight and praised God. I think they watched this man now following Jesus and praising God and seeing all those things wrapped up together, they began to praise God. They began to put all these things together saying, blind guy, Jesus stops, heals him, he's praising God, he's now following him, and God is good. How awesome is this? We just witnessed this amazing thing. And his faith in Christ became contagious. His transformed life became contagious. This blind beggar, this outcast, this person who was really relegated to sitting on the side of the road asking you for spare change, just began to turn the world upside down. Because he recognized Jesus as Lord. He had faith to see. He followed and proclaimed him, and his transformation was absolutely contagious. See, really the questions that boil down for you and I is, in the situations and categories of our own lives, wherever you are today, wherever you are living in, is your life contagious to the people around you? As ordinary as you may feel, as faithless as you may feel, is your life contagious? Are you willing to be used right where you are? Are you willing to say, God, my, my faith seems shallow, but I want you to take it and multiply it? God, I want to be used to impact the lives of the people around me, even in the middle of whatever situation I'm in. I told you we'd take a look at a different person today as well. I want you to take a minute. I want you to meet this person named Alyssa. And I want you to see how God has taken her and used her to turn her world upside down, as I believe her faith in Christ was as contagious as this blind man stood by the road as well. Grass is soft like the angel hair pasta kind of grass kind of resembles that I guess just I don't know <laughs> I've been blind since birth I have a disease called Leber's congenital amaurosis people often ask me you know is it hard being blind is it scary it, it's not. 
It's just a normal way of life for me. when I was angry about being blind. I was very into makeup and trying to look my best. I really wanted to look in the mirror and see what I look like, but I couldn't. The Lord spoke to me and he told me that I am beautiful on the inside and that I don't have to worry about what I look like on the outside and that he is the only one who can tell me what I look like. The mirror can't. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of a burden to people. Sometimes I wish I didn't really need that much help. I wish that I didn't have to rely on them. I'll break too. If I could see, I don't think my faith would be as strong. Because for a blind person, you have to rely on the Lord. It's like your faith becomes more real because you're used to not seeing things. You're used to believing in someone that you can't see. Like for example, my mom, I can't see her. I may be able to hear her, but even if I couldn't, I can't see her but I know she's there. So for me, I think it's easier to know and to understand that though I can't see God, he's really there. I think it has a lot to do with walking by faith and not by sight. I have this desire to help people, but I feel like being blind sort of limits me as to what I can do. But the reality is, God has given me a gift of singing for Him and leading worship. And I feel like that's my way of helping people. Because I'm grateful for that. I have so much joy and so much anticipation because I know that the first face I'm ever going to see is Jesus, and that means the world to me.